sorry about that. But let's go ahead and give this another shot. Um, so welcome, everybody, to the People I Like podcast. This is episode two. I'm Kenny, your host from Odzuki.com. Um, if you are listening to this on a podcast app, you can also see the visual version of this on YouTube.com slash Odzuki. You'll see the People I Like podcast um, playlist. Uh, we've already had one episode. The last episode was with my uh, two aunts, uh, Andrea and Sandra Morgan. Um, and today... I bring to you guys a guest that uh, I've known this gentleman for uh, probably close to 23, 25 years, if not a little bit longer. Um, and he is someone that I've looked at, looked up to, not from just a mentor standpoint, but you know, also on the music standpoint. Um, we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, I would like to welcome everyone to the show, Mr. Artie Gardella. How you doing, Artie? Hey, Kenny. <laughs> I'm doing great. Now. For everyone that is, you know, everyone that is listening, th this is the second time that we've done this because I forgot to actually hit record on the video aspect of this. So, um, <laughs> but so there, there's a little bit of stuff, but I already got rid of that. So you guys just have to deal with it. Um, so, Artie, so we're, I think we should just jump right in um, to l l going into like some, uh, I guess, origin story of, uh, of Artie. So where were you born? I was born in Yonkers, New York. Yonkers is a suburb of the city, right? Borders the Bronx. And uh, at one point, it was called the City of Gracious Living because everybody who was in the inner city, uh, when they sort of, you know, were ready to move on up, they would move to Yonkers. And Ooh. that was sort of like the first suburb that you would hit uh, on the mainland. And, um, and so it was a, it is actually a beautiful city, a big city, actually. It's, it's the fifth uh, largest city in the state of New York. And um, I, uh, obviously the uh, southern portion of it became a uh, overflow of the Bronx. So there's a lot of inner city going on. And that's where we did the work with the children, where we met you, actually. So Yonkers is essentially like the come up of the city. You know, when you're, when you're done with the city and you're ready to start getting, uh, you know, getting a little bit more settled, a little bit more calmed down, yeah. Yonkers is kind of like the step one. Yeah, my parents moved here when uh, my father was a professional baseball player for the New York Giants. I did not and, know that. Um, oh, yeah, he was, he was a professional baseball player and... Uh, uh, it's an actual in, very interesting story that me and my family are, are beginning to uh, work on a, uh, a, a, a screenplay, you know, and, nice. you know, and hopefully a, a movie. Yeah, because uh, it's an interesting story. He, uh, he, he was the first one to really challenge the free agent clause in baseball. Um, in, in, uh, in his time, the Latin leagues were offering more money. So he skipped to the Mexican leagues with people like Mel Ott and a number of other uh, pretty famous people. And uh, they were offered more money there. And, you know, but uh, it didn't go as they thought. You know, um, a lot of the, the Latin leagues were run by gangsters and things like that that offered them the world and then delivered not on as much. So when they tried to come back to the American leagues, they got blackballed. And my father challenged that being being blackballed, and he won outside of court. Um, uh, they made a settlement because they didn't want to set a press precedent. Happy Chandler, the uh, the uh, head of baseball at the time, didn't want to set a precedent because they basically owned the the uh, the players, wow. and this would challenge challenge that where uh, they they would be able to do what they want, negotiate for the money they want, and all. 
So he got uh, he got uh, 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 settled outside of court, and uh, when he um, part of the deal was to get back onto the major leagues, they would allow him back, but they didn't say how long. So they let him play for one game, then fired him. <laughs> so uh, wow, yeah. So so actually, with the money that he got outside of court, uh, uh, he uh, settled outside uh, of court. They moved to Yonkers. That's where they moved on up, you know, and. They got a house there, and he actually got a little restaurant in Getty Square, the inner city there, called Danny's Home Plate. And so, uh, really, so, uh, they, you know, yeah, they had a little restaurant. And uh, the story about that was that everybody loved my mother and her cooking. I mean, she was to know my mother was to love her. You know, she right. was an angel. And my father was sort of a you know a cantankerous, uh, grumpy man. <laughs> and she had she went on leave for her her second child and had to leave the restaurant and the restaurant under his hands just fell apart. Nobody <laughs> wanted to go. <laughs> so, so was it so, essentially like the original soup Nazi? Like, was it that level? Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. <laughs> okay. Now, now what type of food uh, was the restaurant? Uh, it was a, it was like a little diner. It was okay. like a little diner in Getty Square. You know, they just served all little, you know, uh, regular diner type of food, hamburger sandwiches and things like that. And yeah. See. And so, uh, so they, uh, so my father, I guess from, for the rest of his life was always, uh, was always, uh, you know, um, called upon for interviews and the such, because they, it was a pretty important, if, you know, if you follow baseball, it's an pretty important part of the history. They called Danny Gardella, uh, the, the Abraham Lincoln of baseball. Really? So yeah, this yeah. is definitely something that uh, that story definitely needs to be told. Because um, I mean, yeah. that, that, I'm just sitting here. I'm like, you know, we're doing the interview with you, but I'm like, tell me more. Because I mean, the, it's really, really fascinating. Um, yeah. I, I've never heard any of you know any of this before, but I mean, it's good to know that history, though. Yeah. So, all right, so you've just brought back a rush of memories, um, Getty Square. You used to, whenever we would come up uh, in the summers uh, to Camp Shannon, uh, which we'll talk about that in a little bit, you would take us down to Getty Square, right? Oh, yeah. That was that was sort of the main uh, the main area. That was the, uh, you know, where all the buses uh, met there, and, mm -hmm. you know, um, you could get any bus to go anywhere in the city, so it was sort of like, the uh, the uh, you know Grand Central Station of, uh, of of Yonkers there you know, and um, all the all the different marketplaces and all were there, and um, and that's where I actually you know as a young man um, uh, in the church I, I began to develop a relationship with people on the streets helping them out um, feeding them clothing them and you know uh, I was and I began an outreach of the church. Uh, to that part of the city, and eventually, uh, you know, that turned into the Shepherd's Flock, a home for men involved with drugs and alcohol, and the Camp Shannon, the uh, the work that we do with inner city kids. So, when did you start uh, Shepherd's Flock? Because I remember, I, I remember the first time actually getting to go up there and you know meet you, and you know, I think I think they kind of grandfathered me into being able to go on the New York trip when I, I think the earliest I went was 13 or 14. I think the limit was supposed really? to be like 15. Yeah. I was really, really young, but I think it was supposed to be supposed to be like 15, if not 16, but they let me yeah, go yeah. in a little oh, yeah. earlier. That's what we wanted. We wanted 15 and up. And, and how many years did you go? Oh, I went, Oh man, I did the New York trip. 
probably I want to say at least five or six times. Um, what, yeah. what, what was in your yeah, trip? I was, saying, I was thinking that, yeah. Because I started out yeah. as like a junior counselor, like one that was just like an assistant right. to anyone. And then eventually, um, I think the last time that I went on the New York trip, uh, that was probably, I want to say my junior or senior year of high school. Um, and I remember it was myself, uh, Darren Gerhardt, um, Joe. Uh, we called him Marv back in the time, uh, back then, uh, Marv, we were all the leadership. We had made it to leadership by then. Um, and it was that generation that was, you know, doing the New York trip. But I mean, I was back with, you know, when Dina Elworthy and, uh, you know, all, all that age, you know, Doug and Quam and all them, I was, you know, I was going there and then I saw the transition, you know, and I watched a lot of those kids grow up. Um, and then a lot of the kids that were in the camp, that were only a few years younger than me, I, by the time I was done, I saw them as starting, some of them started becoming leadership themselves, you know? So right, I, so right. I thought, I thought that was really, really cool. But I mean, some of the friendships that I made with your crew up there, you know, Simone, Tracy, uh, Darren, you know, I mean, I met, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah, and these are, you know, people that, I mean, I don't keep regular in t- you know, in touch with them on a regular basis, but still it's nice to see, you know, what they're all doing with their lives. And, you know, occasionally yeah. we'll talk on Facebook and stuff like that. So about what year did you start uh, Shepherd's Flock? Well, Shepherd's Flock, uh, I was 19 years old. And um, so I'm 54 now. You could do the math. <laughs> and uh, I was uh, I was working on the streets in the uh, Getty Square area, the inner city area of Yonkers. Every Saturday I go down, my mother would bundle me uh, a big pile of clothes and bags and I would give out clothes and I would, you know, collect a little money from my job at the time, um, and I would take them out to eat pizza and things like that. And and, and I, I just, year after year, you know, began to develop a relationship with people on the street, homeless people mostly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then um, at about 19 years old, that was from when I was 16, 19 years old, uh, I really wanted to do something. I wanted to take it a step further and really begin to help them out and and, and, you know, and, and see their lives, you know, change and, and recover from their addictions and things like that. So I was going to a church in North Yonkers and I asked my pastor, you know, um, I would take the people to the church. And I, by this time I was driving the church van. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then after I would bring them to church, I would fill up the van with people from the streets. I would bring them back to park benches and, and buildings where they would go to the rooftop and sleep and, you know, it would really upset me to go home to my bed at night when all my friends right. were going to the streets. And uh, and so I, I, I remember asking my pastor, you know, would you be open to them staying in the basement here? You know, we could get some cots. And he said, if you were willing to stay with them and, you know, and, and oversee, you know, uh, this, you know, this program, you know, go on ahead. And so I started that night. Uh, I, I brought the couple of people that were went with me to church. I said, would you like to stay here instead of going back to the streets? And and that, that night about, I think, three people stayed that night. And by the end of the week, it was over 20 people and never stopped after that. Wow. And it went on for years and years. Um, and, uh, and then we sort of defined what we were doing from just bringing people in off the streets uh, to really working specifically with men. Uh, who were involved with drugs and alcohol because that was the biggest population out there. Right. And so we, we developed a, a curriculum and we worked with the Teen Challenge Training Center in Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania as a second phase. So 
we were considered a crisis center where we would take them off the street, get them together, you know, um, uh, get them, you know, uh, to uh, uh, be uh, uh, freed from their, you know, detoxed uh -huh. and uh, and get their themselves some stability some self for about three or four months. Yeah, getting them, you know, we they work around the church. Everybody would have a job to support the program, and we'd have times, uh, you know, uh, where uh, we would have uh, group therapy. I had professional, you know, uh, therapists come in and meet with them one-on-one, -on -one, and then we would have the curriculum. The classes would basically talk them, you know, uh, you know, issues of mental health, you know, of how to sort of cope with life. Right. And, uh, and after three or four months with us, then they move on to another six to eight months in Raresburg, Pennsylvania. And then where they would go on, they could get their GED there. They could get a training in, um, I didn't know there was a satellite program with this. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's different types of trades and things like that. Oh, wow. Now that wasn't our program. We worked in, in, in collaboration <laughs> with them and then they would send them back to us to, to as a, uh, to reenter them back into society. And so we would have, uh, uh, you know, like a halfway house type living situation for them where they would have to get a job. They would have to, you know, they had some perimeters and many of them ended up working with the program of, of the first phase program as counselors and, and, and workers. And uh, eventually the whole program was taken over by graduates really? and went on for years in the, oh yeah, for years in the hands of probably about three or four different graduates took it at, you know, at one point or another mm -hmm. uh, and, and carried it on for another about 25, 20, 25 years. And, uh, and so that's been actually going on to just this last year. I heard that the program finally, uh, uh, you know, uh, came to a, to an end where uh, they were uh, the church that was involved with is selling the uh, building and, and the program is, is officially gone, but hundreds of, lives uh helped and um and i'm still in touch with many of those men today and it's just awesome stories and and uh many of them became uh the drug alcohol counselors in, wow. in facilities and uh and all sorts of different things uh, you know they they successful lives well i mean you, i mean you got to think about it i mean it's 2019 now you started when you were 19 and you said you're 54 now yeah. and the program just came to an end so from you know, how many years is that? <laughs> you, you know, that, that's like way too much math for me to try to do in just one <laughs> sitting. Um, but, but I mean, if you're thinking about it right now, um, so, so I'm going to say, uh, here, I do have a computer in front of me. So, so that's, so that works. Um, this but is I, Saturday, I don't want my, I don't want my brain to work that hard on Saturday. <laughs> exactly. Um, so 35 years. So the program went for, wow. th yeah. went for so 35 years. About 35 years. Shortly after, uh, we, we actually, we were started in the church in another side of Yonkers. So I would bus them over to North Yonkers, which was more of a, uh, uh, very much a suburban area where is, is, you know, they lived in the inner city of Yonkers uh, or they came from the inner city of Yonkers. And the city brought us to court because they wanted it. They felt it wasn't legally zoned, but we declared as a church, we're able to do all the missions of a church wherever a church is zoned. So right. that's feeding, that's taking in the homeless and stuff like that. So we actually won in court. We, we had to go to court for years uh, that they were coming against us. But, but it brought a lot of attention to us, a lot of support. We actually developed our whole support base through the controversy of, uh, of the city trying to get us out of there. It doesn't make any and, sense uh, to me because it's like the city's like, don't help people. 
<laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the neighborhood wanted us out because, you know, they had, they felt like this element was coming into their neighborhood and they didn't want that. So they fought it hard. They pressed the city hard. The city actually really wasn't against it as much as the neighborhood really pressed the city to, to enforce their zoning laws. And, uh, but uh, the other thing that came out of it, a little Italian pastor who's retired, was retiring and moving to Florida actually. Mm -hmm. And his congregation was an old congregation ready to, you know, they were, you know, they were dwindled down to a handful of people. Mm -hmm. So they had this beautiful building on Locust Hill in the middle Locust of the inner Hill. city. And, uh, and he was ready to retire. So he came to me one day and said, uh, hey, he said, oh, you need a building. You need to get out of this neighborhood here. I have a building in the inner city. I give it to you. And what he did is paid because it was a nonprofit organization and he was retiring. No one could keep the money that they had in the bank. So he paid for our first year of bills, Whoa. all the utilities and everything until their bank account ran, ran out. So we had a free ride, a beautiful facility in the middle of the inner city. It was the first mayor of Yonkers house actually. And that was the, that was the facility that you came to on 57 Locust Hill, right across from the big tower, 77 Locust Hill. Yeah. And uh, so did our men's home in there. Um, me and my wife at the time lived upstairs in an apartment and, uh, and I ran the program uh, and it was a wonderful facility. You know, we had, we, we it had a lot of land on it too. We built a beautiful garden, mm -hmm. which I never able to, I mean, here in Florida, I was never able to produce a garden <laughs> like I produced in the inner city, in the ghetto of Yonkers. <laughs> I produced the most beautiful garden. I mean, all, all our vegetables from the program came from that garden. We'd go out and, and pick our whole salad for the night and string beans and nice. radishes and every tomatoes, let every kind of lettuce you can imagine. You left your it green thumb in New York. Yeah. <laughs> so all the men would work in the garden. Everybody had a duty to keep the house going. <clears throat> and that's where in that facility, I began to meet the children of camp of the future camp Chanon. which is where I wanted to go to next. Uh, what year did you start camp Chanon? Well, uh, so I go by how old I was. <laughs> so, so at this point, I'm about 23 years old. Oh, so not too long moved, after. Not too long after then. No, that's right. So now we're moved into this facility, 57 Locust Hill, and there was a bunch of kids always playing on our property, running through our property. They actually used our, uh, uh, our which it was actually a horse, an old horse stable that was converted into a somewhat of a garage shed and they had their clubhouse in there unbeknownst to us okay. so they'd sneak in there we'd find everything moved around and <laughs> and so one day i called them and i said hey get on over here you know and sat them on our stoop and I, we began to talk and they said you know we don't have anything to do here in the neighborhood we like you know this is that was our that's our clubhouse we'd hate for to lose it and this and that mm -hmm. so uh i began to do programs with them so one of the first things I did was, uh, I think the first program we did was Fridays with Jesus, we called it. Okay. So after school on Friday, we'd bus them all over to our church and we'd have all these big, uh, you know, uh, you know, just uh, pots of food for them and that the mothers of the church, you know, when I say the mothers of the church, yes. now these were all the inner city churches mm -hmm. and the mothers of the church would cook and hug. That was their job. They would cook for the kids. And then they would line them up and hug the kids. <laughs> well, see, the and thing, I would, I would give them. 
I would give them a basic, you know, like a Sunday school type lesson on Friday, like, uh-huh. uh, you know, about the Bible. And, and uh, then we'd have crazy games and contests and stuff and then bus them back home. And uh, that turned into an everyday after school program, which turned into a full fledged summer program, year round program that involved everything from, a, you know, a summer day camp to uh, half for half of the summer. And then it turned into an overnight camp, Upper Westchester. Mm-hmm. Or for the other half of the summer, which you were involved with that too. Yep. And we we basically got staff to run the whole summer program from all around the world. We had youth groups coming in from your youth group from Florida, Ireland, uh, I remember, North Carolina, Georgia, Vermont, uh, Massachusetts, and then actually youth groups from England and Ireland and Holland, and would come a week at a time and serve the children and. And produce a, uh, a, a, a a theme for them, right. like a vacation Bible school theme for mm-hmm. the week, whatever their theme that they brought, and would do fun contests and things like that. And and that became our, our program. You know, we had a we had after school uh, homework help for them. We we call it the uh, a, 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 you know the study zone. You know, where they would have to study right. when they got out of school, and then if they studied for about an hour. Then we'd open up the whole community room in that big high rise across the street. I remember they gave us their community room. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and then we'd have games and all sorts of fun things going on. And we had a basketball team, and and I was the uh, I was the manager of the team. I knew nothing about basketball. <laughs> <laughs> had a whole clipboard. Yeah, you just <laughs> got a clip- yeah, clipboard and whistle. That's all you need. I mean, that that's like the that's the <laughs> starter kit. Okay, so I do have yeah. a question. And well, before I have the before I ask the question, you know, you mentioned the the, um, the moms of the church, you know, cooking and you know their jobs were cooking and hugging the kids. You know, a lot of these kids, because I I mean, and I remember a lot of these kids, they didn't have that at home. You know, they didn't have that that uh, that connection with a parent that was going to be able to nurture and whatnot. So being able to get in, and get you know, get that that contact and you know, get their bellies full. You know, that was obviously like a big thing i mean i'm pretty sure that a lot of those kids they still remember you know those moments to this day as one of the highlights yeah. of their childhood they they would call the feeling they got at our 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 uh programs the god feeling mm-hmm. and what that god thing is is basically love right and actually i remember a lot of them saying that um and now you said that you had people coming from all over you know uh, i rem- i remember there was the last two years that i was there um some of the ireland crew had were held over and they were staying there and helping out a little bit extra how did you get in contact with you know all the different places from across the country and then across the world well i i at this point you know in my young uh, 20s was you know I, I was a preacher and i was involved not just inside the church working and doing these programs uh, as parachurch uh, programs, but I would travel around the world and, and minister on young people and, and hold uh, youth rallies around the world. I did it in, you know, everywhere from Ireland to uh, England and, and uh, uh, Holland and, you know, uh, we even went to Israel and, and, uh, and then all across the United States. And uh, many times I would even bring the young people to different uh, areas really? to uh, share their testimony and yeah so we developed a relationship with with the, the body of Christ worldwide and uh, they knew what we were doing and offered us help and we had a, a, a nice defined program where uh, you know I knew exactly how they could help you right. know 
you know, get a team together, and I'm telling, I'm going to tell you exactly what you're going to do. Right. You're going to uh, produce a, a a theme for the week and teach it and do skits and crazy contests, and then you're going to be these counselor at these kids' big brothers and sisters all week long. <laughs> With buddy checks, buddy megaphone checks. buddy checks, yes. and everything. <laughs> oh wow, you just brought back so many memories with buddy checks, buddy checks at the, <laughs> the um, pool. at the pool. Where, where was that at? Um, Mount, Mountain Lakes. It was yes. uh, Mountain Lakes and Bear Mountain. The Bear, Bear Mountain. Mountain pool. Bear Mountain was the one that I remember. I yeah, remember we would take them on trips twice a week. Yes, and that was always. I mean, honestly, for every year from when I was a kid, uh, you know, you know, early teen all the way through till my last year there. That I will say, yeah, it was for the kids, but the trips to Bear Mountain were one of my favorite highlights of the New York trip. It's like we're going, oh, you know, except for the days that it would rain. Um, but you know, I remember, you know, and again, so actually, I do have a question. So people like, um, and and I'm uh, naming names of you know people that are listening to the podcast. Unless they were there, they're not going to know who I'm talking about. But like Darren, Tracy, Simone, Dwayne, were they? Uh, in the program, uh, Camp Shannon program as kids and then grew up to be? Yeah, I meant I'm, that was the first crew of kids and they were all between the ages of 7 and 12 years old. Oh, wow. Thir maybe 13 was the oldest. So I think Simone and Tracy and Darren were the oldest and Horace and all of Horace's sisters, Stacy, Katie Ann, Rocky and you know, and then there was, uh, you know, all the Yasmin, Latanya, Valerie. <laughs> Naming all these names that yeah. are just like memory, 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 memory. Just <laughs> yeah. coming all and to then, the surface. So they went from, yeah, so that was our first crew. And then, you know, five years into the program, now they're young adults and, you know, older teenagers. And they became the workers and the leaders mm -hmm. of the program. And um, and eventually, even when I left, Simone actually took over the uh, Camp Shannon and ran it for with Darren nice. for a couple of years. Right on. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I I, I see Simone uh, on uh, Facebook every every once in a while. See, you know, all the big things she's doing. You know, going and uh, you know, playing in Sister Act. Uh, and you know, yeah. get, get, I mean, she she she's really she's you know, shout out to you, Simone, if you ever watch this or listen to it. Um, but yeah. you know, I remember going up and uh, there there was a lot of camaraderie from our youth group with your crew. Um, sometimes a little bit of a rivalry, a little bit, you know, here and there. Um, but I, and, uh, but I do remember the, you had everything. I mean, even from when I was 13, seeing how you had everything set up, it was just this well-oiled machine. It was, you know, and without, you know, without even blinking, you know, if something was happening, you immediately, either you or your leadership, what, you know, with that first crew, they knew exactly what to do. There was no, uh, oh, um, what do we do in this situation? You guys had it all laid out. Like now, when we started coming up, our youth group, how many years had you uh, had that been going on? Uh, we we started bringing groups in to help us probably two two years into the program. Okay. Uh, we we realized we needed more help, and that's when uh, all these relationships I had, you know, reached out to us, or I'd reach out to them and say, hey, you want something fun for your youth group to do over the summer? Give us a week, and uh, and it'll it'll change their lives. And and you saw the impact that it made on you. So oh, yeah. not only these kids were blessed. But all these youth groups that came in got to experience, you know, real, you know, servanthood and working with with children who were very grateful and developed, 
you know, as a result, lifelong friendships and, like you said, relationships developed. And, uh, and so it was really a beautiful thing. It, it was bigger than me or even our uh, immediate staff. It was a real, it was a real, I feel it was a real move of God uh, that was working there in Yonkers amongst these kids. It was, it was hundreds and hundreds of children. I mean, you know, when we talk about it with the kids, it's like just about every kid at that time from Yonkers, <laughs> you know, had a brother, a sister, or a cousin in the program, you right. know, or themselves. And uh, so it was just a really a beautiful thing, and it was bigger than us. It was just, it was really bigger than us. Well, there were so many seeds that were planted that have, you know, kind of just shot off into so many different directions that they're taking that legacy with them uh, out into the world. And uh, one, one, of, one of the greatest, uh, just recently, that just blessed my heart so much is Dwayne Palmer. He's a principal of a school now, you wait, know? Wait, and, wait, 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 wait. What? Dwayne's a principal? He just became... Yep, he just became the principal of one of the charter schools, the finest charter schools in the city of Yonkers. He's their principal. And, uh, Big ups to Dwayne, you know, man. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, so he's been a teacher for, for years now. Many of them actually are teachers. Simone, you know, she's a teacher. You Did know, I know uh, that. It, Oh yeah, many of them became teachers, and so uh, that's a that's a wonderful thing too, you know that 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 the legacy does continue, you know. Well, see, I remember, I remember, uh, you know, I had mentioned rivalries for a while. It was like people were trying to pit Dwayne and I against each other since we were both drummers, you know, and we were both right <laughs> around the same age, you know. So, and it was yeah. just like a, you know, we would have, you know. It, we would bring a setup with us, but you guys had a, uh, a drum set there as well, you know, and, you know, I would get on and I would play a little bit, then hop off the drum set, and then he would get on and play a little bit, and he's like, well, no, he's not going to warm me up, then I would get down and I would get, play a little bit, you know, in, in the off times and whatnot, but... Uh, again, I remember, I mean, cause there was also sometimes when I, uh, when I came up, I think I came up for Christmas as well. Um, and we spent, uh, like the day after Christmas, we were up there for like maybe three or four days. Um, and I remember that, that you know, my mind works in weird ways. And I remember, you know, certain little, uh, pinpointed things. I remember it was snowing really, really hard right outside of your house. And we were walking to your house. I can't remember. I think we were walking from uh, the apartment that was right across where Simone uh, and Dwayne and everyone lived because um, we were just right. visiting with them. So we were walking across. Um, but I just remember that going up to uh, for the New York trips, it was always something that we looked forward to for the summers just because of the memories that we You know, yes, we were able to, you know, affect uh, uh, change. But we also had a, we developed a lot of memories during those trips. I mean, my, yeah. my my best friend Darren and I we talk about. Um, you had one guy working for you, <laughs> um, that was doing the uh, he he did the AV. You know, he did the audio visual, uh, working the soundboard, whatnot. I can't remember his name, but all I remember is every time we were going to go do a setup, he would just come up to us. He was like. Can, can, can you believe how much this stuff is made up with wires? He would just say wires over and over and over again. I don't know why, but um, and that was just something that D Darren and I will constantly say to each other. It's like it's like yeah, so I just need to go uh, pick up this new machine and I need to go get uh, the cable. And he's like, there's so many wires. So it, it's just like again, all these little memories that we have from back then. You know, I mean, I've found pictures from the New York trips. Um, so, I mean, that is something that 
I know I know you said it's bigger than you, bigger than anyone really, but I mean that is something that you planted that seed and was able to really make that grow. So I mean that was that you, there's several 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 lives that were touched and probably subsequently touched from other people um, based on starting that. So I mean in, in my opinion that is something that's absolutely amazing. Um, so with that, when did you move away from Yonkers? Um, okay, so I went on, uh, a, you know, this, uh, this whole season of my life working with the children, um, and then they were young adults now, uh, the first crew of them, camp still going on, and uh, I felt like I needed to have, uh, to start a church. Now, I was a minister, but sort of a grassroots street, you know, mercy ministry type of, you know, uh, working with inner city kids. And, I felt like I needed to be a pastor to these young adults who are now getting married, coming out of college or getting married, having children. And, and I felt like uh, I wanted to provide a, uh, a family, you know, a uh, church and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, be a pastor to them. So I merged with a, an existing church in the city of Yonkers, right down, you know, in, in where I like to be, the inner city of Yonkers. Mm-hmm. We took over a huge building. We took over a huge project where I was responsible for a lot of finances to raise up to keep that building. Um, and, and I guess everything went in, in, in double time mm. uh, from, from there, you know, like it just, it, it sped up and... You know, I I, uh, I gave over the men's program to a, a graduate, so they were running that. I was still living in the facility, though, the men's home up, up above um, in the apartment. And then the children's program was going strong, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of stuff happening with that still. Although a lot of the young people were taking over that, I was still involved. And then, uh, and then I was trying to run this church, and I guess that's where probably I made a big mistake. My pastor... You know, my, my, my pastor to this day, I call him my pastor, Pastor John, um, always said, you know, that was where you went off. <laughs> and he felt <laughs> I just should have stayed under him as, you know, a, a minister. And, and I didn't need to have my own church and things were going good because that's where things really began to press me hard. And uh, I guess I became overwhelmed. Now, I always struggled with mental illness. Um uh, as a teenager, I went through a lot of depression problems. And, mm-hmm. you know, in those days, you sort of just, you didn't know what it, it was. To, you know, you had the blues, basically. Right. But it was full on depression. I, I, had, I, had, I was more blue than your average <laughs> person that was just down, <laughs> down and out. I mean, I, was, I went through a lot of struggles. And then as, right. a, as a, I guess, a young adult, about 21 years old, it, it hit me again mm. um, and, and, and left, you know. And, and then at 35, um, it came on strong. I went into a depression and broke, I guess, emotionally. I had a breakdown um, that I just could not get out of. Mm. And uh, at that point, you know, uh, as a Christian, many times when you go through, the, you know, pe- pe- you know, they don't want to, uh, uh, you know, uh, they don't want to go to the secular society for our mental health. So it's basically you just pray about it, right. you know, and pray about it and God will get you through this. And Hey, I prayed, I fasted, I chased the devil. I did everything I could do, but I couldn't shake this depression that I was in. Mm-hmm. And one pastor told me, you know, I, I, I went to a doctor and I talked to him about this and he said, I had depression. He gave me some medicine and I was, I was good, you know? And so I went to my general practitioner and basically he just gave me an antidepressant, not knowing that I was bipolar. 
And uh, mm. so when you give some just the the you know the antidepressant to bring you up, if you're bipolar, you go you keep going up. <laughs> so I went into an all all out spin out out of control with this medicine, oh, wow. and I was shooting through the roof in a manic state. Um, doing things I never should have done as a pastor, you know. Um, mm -hmm. I started going out and partying again and, and uh, drinking and just – it was just not – I mean, I, this was not me. This right. was not what I do, you know. You know, and I, I – you know, I just was spiraling downhill into this person that wasn't me. And, and, uh, and eventually, you know, I had to leave the ministry because my life got out of control. Mm -hmm. um, I ended up in – in a in, in a psych ward for about uh, a month in one, and then really? they sent me to a yeah, and then they sent me to another place, a follow up place. They didn't even want to let me go until I had a follow up place, which was this uh, specialty place in Texas that dealt with bipolar. And the guy there was supposed to be really good with the psych the psychiatrist uh, getting uh, the right prescription of you know to deal with the high and the low which is the challenge for a person with bipolar right how do you bring up the the low and uh, without getting them too high how do you bring them down from the high without getting them too low finding that so balance. a lot of experiments were are done on on people uh, at, at the time a lot of experiments were done on me with me medicine combinations and things weren't going good it was making <laughs> oh. me crazier when i went to texas I was on a slew of medicine from New York, uh -huh. uh, the, the doctors there, and the, the doctor in uh, Texas said, and this was a, 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 a weekday program where you would go in the morning, leave at night, therapy, all this stuff, but you stayed where, you know, hotel or whatever right. for the weekend and night. So I got there on a Friday, met the doctor. He gave me some prescriptions. He said, don't stop the New York stuff. I'll wean you off of that, but start taking it. So now I'm taking uh, two doctors, different regiments of medicine, probably about seven, eight pills in all. Right? Um, I, went, I went crazy that weekend, uh, and, and I went out of control. I had a psychotic episode um, where the, the police had to hunt me down and Baker Act me, and I ended up in a psych ward oh, in, uh, in Texas. Yeah. Well, I mean, I went into a psych ward. With all that medication, I mean, that's going to throw the chemical imbalance like way out of skew. Uh, for, right. uh, oh, my goodness. And, and, and you're not making right decisions. And there was uh, there was uh, free cocktails on my hotel floor. Oh, so, no. <laughs> so I went out and took advantage of those free cocktails. So that added to the, the whole mixture. Right. <laughs> and needless to say, I was I was I went berserk and ended up in a hospital there um, oh, and uh, yeah and so uh, now I'm in Texas uh, I ended up um, uh, leaving the program there early uh, with a girl who was getting discharged I said can I stay at your place you know we made friends and and I didn't tell anyone in New York where I was now I'm out of my mind at this point you right. know, literally out of my mind mm -hmm. um, no stability whatsoever crying all the time manic like crazy uh, so I didn't, I chose not to tell anywhere where I, I wanted to disappear for a while. And, and I, and so I stayed, uh, at this house there and nobody knew my, my wife, my children, nobody knew where I was, uh, for over a month. And, oh, wow. uh, and so, and so what happened was, and, and I don't know if you know this story with Brock, Brock Atkins, but, uh, what happened was, uh, uh, my wife, um, 
uh, went to my brother-in-law who knew how to uh, uh, hunt down people for debts. He worked for a debt collector. And oh, so okay. somehow, I guess I used a credit card or something, <laughs> but somehow they found where I was, where I was living. Wow. And, uh, and one night, Brock Atkins comes to the door. And so my wife, Lisa, tells Brock, hey, I don't know who else to turn to. You're his buddy. You know, can you go and get him? and retrieve them back to flow at the time they were living in Florida. Now right. uh, they moved to Florida, but they had to leave the ministry. And, uh, and so Brock comes, knocks on the door, boom, boom, boom. Artie, I know you're in there. <laughs> Answer the door. So I go to this girl. I, I peek out the window. Oh my God. That's a pastor friend of mine. Brock <laughs> Atkins. And I, how did he get here? I didn't say a word. So for about two or three hours, he's getting louder and louder on that door. Oh. He tries to go get the police, and the police say, "I we can't do anything. He didn't do anything illegal. Right? You know, we can't do anything." So he comes back probably about ten or eleven at night, and he says, "Artie, I'm gonna knock on the door for the last time. If you don't come out, I'll be at the airport with a ticket for you tomorrow uh, at the airport uh, and, and uh, waiting for you at ten o'clock." Mm -hmm. And so he left. And don't you know, you know, that next morning I got up and I felt like this is what I had to do. And so I got a ride to the airport and Brock saw me there, gave me a big old hug, got me on the plane and uh, sent me to now Arizona to my sister there to just sort of have a chill out time. Right. And from that point, you know, in Arizona, I went back to Florida and my life began to uh, very, very little at a time. Um, uh, uh, get back, get back together, but it took years to get me to get my life stable again. Well, as someone that has struggled with, um, you know, mental health as well, you know, I, you know, I've gone through several, several bouts of depression and dealing with, uh, you know, seem facing seemingly, uh, obstacles that you couldn't really overcome. And at, at points in time, you're just sitting, you're like, you don't know what you're going to do, you know, and, Again, you know, you get the stigma, not not just from a Christian standpoint, but you also get the stigma stigma uh, as a man. Yeah, just from anybody. You, you know, yeah. you're you're supposed to be you're supposed to be this pillar of stability and be able to you know handle right. your business. And if you don't, you know, it's right. just like a lot of times they end up, you know, we end up getting shunned, or or at least we feel like yeah. we're going to get shunned when really that's not going to be the case. So you know, with all yeah, that, imagine going to your job and saying, you know. I, I, you know, I'm going through a, uh, you know, a, 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 I have a flu. I got to take a couple of days off. Uh, I have the flu. Oh, no problem, right? I mean, that's everybody does that. Imagine going saying, I have, I'm, I'm, I'm mentally ill. I have a mental illness, and I have to take a few days just to chill out. And people don't understand that, right. and there's still a stigma with that. And now you'll be looked down upon at the job as someone who's not stable enough to handle that job, perhaps, you know, right. uh, it's a sickness, just like any other sickness. It's like diabetes. It's like, you know, uh, any kind of sickness that some, someone would get. It's a sickness of the mind, mental illness. And that's why I'm really glad for a lot of these, like uh, uh, a couple of days ago was World Mental Health Day, yep. um, just to get conversation going that, hey, you know, it's okay to be not okay. And if, if you have a mental illness, there's no stigma with that, just like there's no stigma for someone, you know, who, who has diabetes or, right. or cancer or anything else. And, uh, 
and you can recover from it also, just like anyone else come with the proper, whether it's medicine or, and now I'm not doing a medicine re regime. And, you know, basically I got back to health and that's how I got myself uh, back together, get, getting back to eating right and exercising. And, you know, I went on a whole kick of, of just, you know, uh, naturally getting myself back. Together. Right. Now, I mean, that, that is something that uh, I am grateful for the time that we live in now, because if you go back to, you know, the 40s, 50s, you know, it's like, oh, he's going out of his mind here. Let me get this sharp instrument and put it next to his eye, right to his brain. And just, <laughs> we'll just cut, yeah, clip yeah. it right there. See, yeah. look, he's catatonic now. He's fine. He's fine. We, we've <laughs> gone from, the, you know, uh, Terminator 2 uh, razor in the eye now to being able to actually be able to talk about it and acknowledge that yeah. it's something that people really, yeah. really do go through. So with you moving to Florida um, and, you know, you're out of the ministry now, you're now, um, when did you start the uh, Synergy Senior um, exercise? Yeah, so uh, I started exercise, getting back into exercise. I told you my father was a professional baseball player, so mm -hmm. he, he always – he always put us in sort of exercise regiments. We had nine kids in the family. And so we were like, you know, Whoa. he had weights. Yeah. And so, you know, he had weights in the backyard and, you know, he would be walking on his hands and we would try to walk on our hands and doing pull-ups off the swing. And so he always had us doing, and my mother was a health nut before that was a fashionable thing. You know, um, there, there hardly was even a health food store. I think there was one and, and we would travel to it and, health food back then wasn't like it is now. I mean, you ate health bread back then. It was like eating tree bark. And, and uh, yeah, so uh, so we we were health nuts, you know, back then. So what I basically did is I, I knew the, I know the power of food. My mother taught me that, the power of eating right and, mm -hmm. and taking care of your body. So I began to eat right again. I lost probably about 40 pounds um, of, of, of just, you know, not taking care of myself pounds. Mm -hmm. um, I got back into running, um, and that definitely stirs up uh, endorphins, you know, in, in your body and serotonin. And 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 uh, I got back in the gym, working out regularly, getting so excited about feeling better and becoming stable. I I started getting certified in in uh, these different classes that I was taking, mm -hmm. and began to teach. And then eventually developed a whole career uh, out of it, where now I you know I I work full time working with. I went from regular fitness working with everybody. Now I specifically work with seniors, Synergy Senior Fitness, and I work with people 65 and older, and uh, I help them in their golden years to be the best that they could possibly be so they could do everything that they want to do on their bucket list for as long as they possibly could do it. That's my challenge I, I, to them. I love yeah, that. And we exercise, and, and uh, you know, I have a great, great business. I travel uh, within two counties. I have about – 10 different sites that I work at, all my own classes. And, wow. and uh, we have uh, seniors coming into these classes, learning everything from balance. We work coordination, quick response, so they could drive and be out there and respond to the quick traffic. Nice. Balance is an issue because people falling over 65 is a big uh a big um, a problem, you know, mm -hmm. um, in, in healthcare. And so we try to keep uh, people from falling and teach them balance. And of course, you know, weight, you know, the regular light weights, dumbbells, bands, stretchy bands, cardio. And so I'm at it every day. That's what I do now. And so I, so I basically turned my own, the exercise that was for my own mental health, uh, I turned it into a career. So you went, you essentially went from, 
um, you know, reinforcing and nurturing and training up people's, uh, you know, spiritual well-being, uh, going through your own, uh, you know, your own fight and then switching over to uh, nurturing and bringing up people's physical well-being. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. you know, I mean, honestly, it, it's really I, I hate to be cliche-ish but it's really a phoenix rising type of uh situation you know you went through uh and you know you you had this nice rise up you had you went through a little bit well, more than a little bit like a big fire you know you were forged in that fire and then you rose up from the ashes became something completely and totally different i remember uh when my wife and i you know we were still relatively newlyweds and uh, I found out you were in, you know, you were in town, and I was like, hey, I was like, you, you know, I reached out to you. I think that was on MySpace. Uh, to tell you how far back that was, um, and <laughs> and it was, uh, hey, you know, do you want to um, meet up? I heard you in town, and you're like, yeah. So we went over to um, again Olive Garden, I think, in Ormond Beach, and we just sat and talked for a while. And I remember seeing you for the first time. Um, now, growing up, I remember you being really clean cut. You know, not really in suits all that much, but, you know, just really, you know, really clean cut, a little bit more reserved. When you came in, you know, you had, I think it may have been a fresh tattoo. You had an earring. And I was like, who is this guy? <laughs> I was like, wait, what? This this is an Artie? And, you know, and, you know, again, just real laid back, real chill. Um, and, you know, you had mentioned that he had gone through some stuff. And, you know, we, we talked for a little bit. Then you lent me uh, your Roland uh, V-Series drums for a bit. I was, again, living in an apartment in Daytona Beach. And, you know, we kept in contact for a little bit. Um, there was a bit of a lull uh, in contact, and then we reconnected on Facebook. Um, and it's just I always remember um, that you just had this and still have to this day just this, you know, humongous heart, you know, and just the way you carry yourself has always, uh, you know, I've always admired that, you know, I'll see on Facebook pictures of you, you know, that you're posting for your classes and, you know, you'll get dressed up in all these getups and you get like <laughs> this, this silly, crazy look on your face, like, you know, and I'm sure that makes your, you know, um, your students, uh, in your classes, oh, yeah. they, they absolutely, I, get, I give them a little, I give them a little caption on. <laughs> exactly. That's the, that's the actual feeling that, uh, that I get from seeing those pictures. And it's just always a joy to be around, you know. And, you know, I see you also, uh, you know, you're, you have two kids, right? Yeah. Okay. So I've My seen, daughter, Liana. I've seen yeah. pictures of you and Liana um, at uh, Times Square during – you guys went during uh, Macy's uh, Thanksgiving Day Parade, right? Yeah, yeah. That was a tradition that we were doing every year going to the – uh, Macy Day Parade when she lived actually right near there. Okay. Um, she lives in Brooklyn. She lives in Brooklyn now, so it's not as easy to get to the parade. But uh, yeah, I would visit every Thanksgiving and go there. And she's working and acting, and she I went saw. to Pace University, and she is. Uh, she actually found a a little niche in the theater world of stage combat, and it's it's just it's sort of amazing. Really? I I love to see how young adults find their way. Now, when she was a kid, she did Taekwondo, yeah? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and by 13 years old, she's becoming a little lady now. Dad, I, I don't want to get hit in the face anymore, you know? And so, you know, <laughs> no worries. You, you can let it go. And, uh, no problem. I was really into it. She was rising up. She was near, a, I think she was actually the first level of a black belt or right before it. And, nice. And then she let it go for years. And then uh, she got involved in theater and high school and then wanted to study that as a career. And she went to Pace University their acting school. And now all of a sudden she's meeting people who are in this, what's called stage combat, 
where they do training uh, to train people for uh, for fight scenes, uh, both on stage and in nice. film. And so now she's certified and she's getting really uh, tr doing a lot of training and uh, assisting this group uh, uh, that uh, is one of probably the most prominent group in all of New York City uh, that does stage comedy. She has gigs regularly now where wow. she trains well, theater people and film people of how to fight, basically. So it's it's amazing. Sort it sort of came back from her Taekwondo day. I I right. say, does Taekwondo did that help? She said, oh, absolutely. You know, the, a lot of the stuff that I do is involves you know those forms and things like that. So it's pretty amazing, you know, where she's going in the in direction of theater, but this little niche comes up and mm -hmm. she's finding a whole a whole career in in this niche now. So, so I'm going to need so, to. Uh, and then my son, <clears throat> and then my son got involved in music, mm -hmm. and uh, he's currently right now in three very popular bands. Three. Um, I uh, only heard about the Ned. Yeah. yeah, the Ned was his first band, and that's going strong still to this day. Five years later, and, nice. and they've done well. They've done three uh, East Coast tours up to New York. They have four releases, um, the four albums they made. Um, they're about they're working on a fifth one now and they uh and they uh you know have have charted on on college radio stations all throughout the nation nice um, and so uh, they've been doing really well and then uh and then he got involved in two other bands locally here you know who are also really active doing a lot so he's full on into his music and uh and what i did is i got involved with him first you know getting involved in his a music career and helping him to and his band to get set up in, you know, sort of a semi-managerial type of position, and then uh, we developed that. It was actually, it was, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so now it's it's actually uh, Rugrat Records, uh, and so uh, Rugrat nice. Records is basically all of the young people and their bands, and we help them out to uh, to get exposure, basically. That's what we, we're not a record label in a traditional sense of signing and things like that. Basically, right. we're more of a music community that gives support in any way we, we could give, uh, whether it's fixing an instrument. You know, I, you know, I fix guitars and things like that for mm -hmm. them. Uh, 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 I brought, I've gotten some young people to get voice lessons or, or, uh, or lessons on their instruments. Um, and uh, helping them to get in the beginning to get gigs. And now they're on, on a flow with that. They, they nice. don't need me anymore. But, uh, we set up stages where all of these bands could come perform in different festivals. Mm -hmm. And uh, we do, um, we do, I do reviews. So if, if a, a young person, if one of their bands uh, uh, does a, you know, just releases an album or a video or a single, I'll give a review and get that on Facebook. And so uh, just, we basically help them to get their music heard. Nice, right on. So, I mean, now, what does your what instrument does your son play? My my son plays the drums. He also fiddles with the guitar. Yeah, yes. yeah, he's a drummer. That's his main instrument. And he's uh, and uh, but he'll he'll pop up to play a few songs with the net, especially. Mm -hmm. And uh, he'll he'll take the front and play guitar and nice. and, uh, and and sing also. So. He's very involved. He's so creative. I mean, these kids pop out new songs every week. You know, I, on Saturdays they practice. I was just over there today, and there's always a new song popping up, and it's just amazing to see them. And oh. and their friends, you know, who are artists too. You know, design artists. Right. Uh, we're we're getting them involved too. Where where they'll do live art. Uh, 
while uh, while the bands play on our stages, uh, on the side we'll have a side stage for an artist who will be drawing while the band is playing. That's and cool. So, painting, you know, and so we're we're trying to uh, promote all of the arts. And you and you are now playing again as well, right? I see pictures of you, you know, practicing uh, musical and yeah, where are I you playing now? I, I got back on the drums after many many years. And uh, um, I'm in a uh, uh, Palm, the Palm Coast uh, Community Concert Band, <laughs> where nice. basically you have to and you have to read. And I haven't read music since I was in high school, you know. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and so it was a challenge, but I, I wanted that challenge in my life, you know, because I mean these kind of things keep you sharp in your head and things yeah. like that. So. You know, uh, I, I'm 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 sight reading music again, and, and as you, know, you can yeah, see behind yeah, me, you know, exactly. I have I have my I, I mean, it's a small I still setup. Still have my rolling pin. <laughs> but yeah, so I got this uh, rolling set. We were at a pawn shop, um, my wife and I, and uh, um, I walked in. We were just looking out for some games for the kids, um, and I look over and I see this set sitting over there, and I'm just like that's nice you know and i uh, look at the price and it was it was like uh 3.99 but the guy's like i'll give you two he goes i'll give it to you for 2.99 i was like say what he goes so he's like yeah 2.99 and i was like i don't got that type of money on me right now and he goes well he goes if you can put you know 10 percent down you can make payments on it and i was like done and i you know slapped him the money <laughs> he did that he threw in this really really uh rock and a uh, really nice rock and sock throne that has like this nice velvet seat on it things incredibly comfortable um so here you know i've started you know trying to get into making my own music and, and, and you know i'm not a composer whatsoever but you know i'm just sitting here you know got a midi keyboard i'm sitting here just trying to you know tinker around um and darren and i we had this idea years and years ago because he plays bass um we were like you know we should make our own band, you know, whenever we have some time, you know, you lay down some bass tracks and send them down to me and I'll, you know, lay down drum tracks to it and we'll call ourselves a band apart, you know, since we can do it everything all digitally. Um, but we, and that was like eight years ago when we came up with that idea. We've never done it. <laughs> but so, so that's my setup. But I remember that set that you're showing that you're showing right now. Yeah, there's that set there. And uh, actually, my son is about to move into his own uh, house. Uh, and uh, and it's a duplex, so he asked. He said, "Dad, you using that digital set <laughs> because I don't think regular drums there." So he's going to be taking that set there. And I have this little cute kit right here. Oh, it's a bop kit. This nice. is a, a it's a eighteen inch an eighteen inch bass drum, <clears throat> and this thing goes with me to the different concerts that uh, uh, you know I perform in. It's so small. It fits in my the whole the whole set fits in my trunk. Nice. And uh, I'm getting older, so it's hard for me to lift the big sets and stuff <laughs> like that. This great great little set here is what I jam on every day. Nice. And uh, we're uh, and we're uh, in preparation now for a Veterans Day show. So you have all of these uh, marching band songs, marches for the armed forces. And a Christmas show, so we have all the Christmas shows. I saw a lot white, of reading to do there. I saw White Christmas <laughs> on uh, on the music stand, and I'll, and you know it's you you know me. Our family is huge into Christmas. Uh, my wife and I were we, we came up with a concept for a Christmas podcast last year. We named it. Started getting everything all ready to go. She she got a little bit under the weather, so we postponed it. But we just made all the plans to uh, kick off that show called Hot Chocolate and Snowflakes, which is our Christmas movie. Uh, well, just Christmas theme 
themed, mainly Christmas movies, but we'll be talking about, um, you know, like Christmas recipes and stuff like that, music, the whole nine, and uh, that should be kicking off. We're, I think we're going to start recording either this week or next. Um, so that one's coming up soon, so people stay tuned for that too. Oh. But, you know, it, it's I have not played with a group in, probably since... Oh, I'd say 1999. Um, 1999 was probably the last time that I actually had a chance to play. Um, and I, I miss it. I miss playing a yeah. lot. But So what I'll do now is I'll just hook my phone up with Spotify to this set, and I'll just uh, essentially just track. Play you know, I'll, pl- I'll play the music. And that gives me life. You know, it, it's, it's just nice to be able to really, especially if you have a song that's hitting really, really, really hard, and you can just, you know, just from – muscle memory of playing it it's just uh, i absolutely love it um but you know it's your your story like i said your story has been uh, i I learned a lot already you know from this conversation you know stuff that i didn't know about but you know your your life has had a lot of ups and downs um and it's got you to the place that you are today you know it's always a journey it's something that is I, i i think it can help a lot of people you know especially if they feel that they don't have um well no not not necessarily that they don't have uh but more so if they feel that obstacles are too much to overcome you know that they can really see that look you know you may be going through something that may seem almost uh completely and totally impossible to face but you still can get through it and move forward and have an incredibly fruitful life. You have a story that you can tell people, you know, that there's several, and again, you just mentioned about it being a mental health uh, awareness day the other day. You know, I have a couple of friends that have committed suicide. Uh, I've thought about it at one, uh, you know, more than one time in my life. Um, And, you know, it's just having, you know, I'm going to put the, you know, the uh, suicide prevention number and all that stuff on, uh, on this episode as well. Um, because people <clears throat> need to know that there are people that will listen, genuinely listen, and not think that yeah. they're crazy. Exactly. And and also, people need to know that they're they're not alone in this. There's so many people, more than they can imagine, more mm-hmm. than we can imagine, people who struggle. One out of four people struggle with, with, with uh, thoughts of suicide mm-hmm. and, uh, <clears throat> and mental illness. And so... Um, uh, and and you know and I struggled. That's how I ended up in the hospital the first time. You know I, that that's that's the journey that I was. Go- that's uh, you know the path I was going down. Mm-hmm. And uh, and people need to know that not only are they not alone, but there's so much hope. I yeah. mean, no matter what they're going through, you know you can make it out. If you want to make it out, you can make it out out of your situation. Um, <clears throat> the uh, the um, you know, talking to people about it. Uh, there's medicine, you know, that that is so much more uh, improved than than when I, you know, first started taking medicines. Now they have even for bipolar one pill that takes care of it all. You really? Know? And highs, yeah, the highs and the lows. I mean, medicine has gotten better, therapy has gotten better, and just the just just the fact that we could talk about it and there's understanding makes people feel better. That hey, I'm not I'm not you know. Um, I'm not, you know, just, you know, silent, have to, I don't have to suffer in silence. In this. Exactly. There's so many people that are going through the same thing or know somebody who, who's going through the same thing. And so, uh, so yeah, we want to really put out that message, even through Rugrat uh, Records. That's one of our big messages. One of the young people uh, actually uh, 
uh, threw himself off of a bridge about uh, three months ago. Oh, um, no. uh, yeah, one of the young people that were was involved uh, with a band, Pigeon Collision, uh, that we were working with. And uh, it really, I tell you, it, it stopped everyone in their tracks and everybody started talking and communicating and posting things about mental health and a lot more communication has happened because of it. And, uh, and I think a lot of people realize that, you know, that there is a way out. It doesn't have to end like that. Right. And, um, yeah. Well, well, I mean, already, you know, you have from, I mean, early, even earlier than 19, but, you know, officially from 19 on, you've always had a heart for people. You've always had a heart for, you know, uh, you know, I mean, what, you don't hear many 19-year-olds that are concerned about the homeless population and, you know, help trying to help them get a leg up and, you know, get away from the situation that they're in, you know, but all the way through till now, you know, you're helping the youth, you know, you, you know, from uh, Shepherd's Flock to Camp Shannon to Rugrat Records to Synergy, you know, you are always trying to find ways to help improve people's lives. And I think that is something that we really need more of, especially in this day and age, you know, more people that are willing to, uh, instead of concerning themselves with only climbing up, the, climbing up the ladder themselves, you know, looking down and, you know, putting their hand down to try to help people up on theirs as well. And, you know, a lot of people will, a lot of people will appreciate that, you know? And, uh, so really quick, do you have any of the stuff for Synergy or, um, Rugrat Records, um, online? Like, uh, do, do you guys have any like social presence? Yeah. So, uh, so for, for Synergy Senior Fitness, if anyone is listening to this and wants help for their mom, their grandma, their aunt, their uncle, or themselves, if they're, you know, over 65, this is specific exercises designed for the very specific needs of the senior, um, including balance, which is a big issue. So SynergySeniorFitness.com, they could go on that website, and I'm there. Uh, I also have presence on Facebook. Synergy Senior Fitness. Right on. Uh, so that's there. And then uh, the for the music, uh, for you know, if anyone wants to check out some of the bands that, that we're working with and this music community that we're working with with young adults, um, it's rugratrecords.com. Uh, and um, and also Rugrat Records is on uh, Facebook as well. We'll definitely so, be checking uh, that out. So, yeah. Um, so uh, – Artie, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to, you know, do this interview and for, you know, just to chat with me for a little bit. Uh, it was it was really always fun to be able to catch up with old friends um, and, you know, obviously uh, want to be able to continue to do this, you know, to, you know, keep up with you. Um, need to. I, one of the things that I'm trying to uh, do myself is to stay in contact with people more, you know, instead of just, yeah. you know, we get stuck in this world of just scroll, 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 yeah, yeah. and not interacting, you know, and I'm a big person that likes to, you know, obviously I like to talk. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah. we'll continue to stay in contact. Um, but, and again, yeah. everyone that's listening, I will make sure that uh, I've probably already uh, added in the uh, links and everything to the description, uh, on, not only on Azuki.com, but also on the YouTube video. Um, and again, uh, if you guys want to check out uh, uh, the, the things that Artie's involved in with uh, Synergy or the Rugrat Records, you guys will be able to see those links there. Um, and again, Thank you again, Artie, for uh, taking some time with us today. Um, and we will. I enjoyed this. Thing. Oh, absolutely. And everyone else, uh, we will. Uh, we have a couple of other interviews that we have lined up. Oh, all, that's one thing I do want to say, Artie, is 
I, I I'm fascinated by uh, Liana's uh, new career path, and I need to get uh, you to get me in contact with her because I think that will be a fascinating story as well. Because um, I remember when yeah, she was, you know, itty bitty. <laughs> I remember when she was, you know, I mean, and again, when I first went there, I was itty bitty, but uh, she was itty bittier. Uh, and yeah. y- you know and i think that would be uh, that's something that we'll talk about at, you know once we're done recording because i think that would be a really fascinating story and also right. talking to your son as well uh with the ned and the, all the other bands you know um from yeah. you know one fr- from one drummer to another uh that, that i think that would be a good one as well um but everyone thank you so much for listening to this episode of the people i like podcast uh, you guys will be able to uh, find our. We're gonna try. I'm gonna try to do this uh, once a week. Uh, there may be some weeks here and there. We are in the process of trying to sell our house so that we can move. So there may be some days where we have some episodes that are missing. Um, but we will make sure that we do this on a regular basis. I have several other people that I have lined up for this show. Um, you know whether you may have heard of them before. Again, I have confirmed that I will have Kristen Booth from uh, Sign Seal Delivered. Um, she's also on Orphan Black, a couple of other shows. We'll have Crystal Lowe. Uh, she is also another actress from Sign Seal Delivered, uh, but she has been in several other movies as well. We'll go ahead and get, uh, have her on as well. Those have been confirmed. Um, and just a couple of other um, a couple of other musicians as well that I have uh, scheduled. So be on the lookout for that. Um, you can always find us on Azuki.com as well as uh, Facebook.com slash. Uh, I haven't created people I like for Facebook, but we'll go ahead and get that created probably this week as well. So anyway, thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you on the next episode of People I Like podcast. I will see you guys later. I am Kenny from Azuki.com. Talk to you guys later. Bye.